This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest today is a former Champions League winner as a coach. Not many have achieved that feat. Um, and my guest this morning is Eddie Newton. Morning, Eddie. How are you? Yes, sir. Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thank you for being with us this morning, Ed. Ed, just for um, those who maybe aren't too familiar with you, um, and, you know, would you mind just giving us a bit of a background about who you are, what you do currently, and or I guess where you, where your journey started in terms of the, in terms of the game of football? Uh, my name is Eddie Newton. Uh, I think most people will remember me from Chelsea Football Club. Um, I spent most of my life there. Uh, it's like a second home to me. Um, I I grew up at the club. I started there at under 12s at Chelsea and grew up at the club, uh, made professional and then uh, went on to have quite a successful career as a player. Unfortunately, my career was cut short um, due to an ongoing knee issue. Um, uh, three operations, and after the third one, the doctor said, either make a decision to quit or you'll end up in a wheelchair. So it was quite a, a horrible thing to hear. Um, I still try to push um, and try, but uh, I had to be sensible in the end with uh, when I realised I couldn't turn, I couldn't run, I couldn't jump as quick and do and keep up with the players that are around me. So I had to make a decisive decision, uh, which was very, very difficult. Um, a few years later, I was asked to come back into Chelsea to, to coach in the academy, which I did. Uh, and continued there for five seasons. Then I joined Robbie Di Matteo at MK Dons as an assistant manager, uh, quite successful, came third, got into the playoffs, uh, didn't quite manage it to get promotion. Um, and then we got headhunted by West Bromwich Albion um, and went to the championship the season afterwards and we got promoted into the Premier League on the first time of asking. Uh, uh, had didn't have 
the chance to to complete the season. We lost our jobs. I don't know, maybe a third of the way through the season, even though we'd never been in the bottom three and had the worst budget in the league. Um, uh, then Robbie got the assistant job at Chelsea with AVB. And then uh, when AVB lost his job, they gave Robbie the job. Uh, what well, not, not permanent, but um, interim manager. And then he brought me in to help him. And then, as you said, at the at the top of the, the show, we went on to win the Champions League and the FA Cup that season. Um, and then after that season, in the following season, didn't go so well. Um, got knocked out of the Champions League. Robbie lost his job, uh, but Chelsea decided to keep me on. Um, uh, the incoming manager thought I was too close to Robbie, so really didn't want me on his staff because he was worried I would kill him at the club, basically. <laughs> um, so I was asked to do loans, uh, the loan program, to build a loan program, which I did. And I built a loan program from the very scratch. From, and uh, I believe it's one of the best loan programs in the world at this present moment in time. Um, multiple players all over the European football. Um, and as a, as a business, it, it runs very well. Um, so obviously, some seasons better than others. Um, and players are now starting to move on to have new careers elsewhere um, and and developing, or if, even if they're not at development stage, they're, they're playing games instead of getting frustrated at the club. Um, and they, they are closely monitored and followed by uh, the staff at Chelsea, the team that I put together. Uh, and it works very well. Um I left Chelsea, then Frank came in and they asked me to support Frank. Um, uh, in the end, it didn't work too well because Frank wanted his, you know, to, he wanted his own people. Um, uh, it, it, it got a little bit difficult to work with each other. So I had the opportunity to move to Trabzonspor in Turkey and, and I took it. To be assistant at uh, Trabzonspor, uh, came and, uh, I was the assistant all the way into the last two games where they decided to sack the manager. Uh, with two games left, um, uh, second in the league and in the cup final, uh, and uh, so I, I took over as the interim manager. Um, for the last two games was fortunate to win both games to secure Champions League football for the following season and I won the cup for the club uh, first trophy in 10 years for the for the club um, then they gave me the managerial job um, and gave me seven games before they sat me so it's very, it's very volatile 
to say the least, in Turkey when it comes to managers. Uh, I think I think at the moment twenty managers have been sacked this season. Wow, that's uh, that's, that's quite mad at this stage already. Um, at this stage, yeah. So, just out of curiosity, how big is the league there? It's 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 um, bigger than usual um, because of the COVID situation. Right. Okay. I don't know how they they work this one out, but uh, the, the the clubs that were meant to go down last season didn't go down. Right. Because but clubs still came up, did they? And then clubs came up, which made the the, the league sure. bigger than it's, it, it usually is, sure. um, which is a very unusual intervention by yeah. the, uh, by the FA um, because that's very unusual. <laughs> but anyway, they made that decision and so the league is bigger than it usually is. Mm. Um, but I think they're going to go to 20 eventually. Yeah. I was just going to say it's quite incredible. Obviously, the amount of sackings, there is almost more sackings than clubs, I was going to say, but um, it's, it's nuts, especially at this stage of the season. Look, Eddie, look, you, you, you've kind of, uh, I guess, really captured almost 25 to 30 years of, I guess, your industry experience in, mm. I guess, maybe less less than five minutes, really. Mm. I want to take you kind of right back to the start of that journey. And, you know, you talked there about having to go through some of those injuries and almost coming to terms with the fact that, I guess, in some ways being put to you, right, it's either a wheelchair or, or, or a, I guess, uh, a disturbed football career if you carry on the way, the way things are. Mm. Um, what was that like? Soul-destroying. Mm. Um, it's the only thing you've ever done you know since the moment I was able to walk I was kicking the ball um, so it was uh, soul destroying because it's all you ever know mm. it's all you ever know and uh, so therefore to, to have it taken away so abruptly um, everything that you've worked for all your life you know and I was only 28 27, 28 so you know you got at the top level, maybe four seasons, maybe, and then maybe another two or three off the back of that, mm. maybe dropping down a league or going international somewhere else and experience another league somewhere else could have happened. So um, to know that was taken away from me was uh, soul-destroying. Mm. You, know, you talked about, you know, in that short space of war, you know, it's, it's, it's a few, not a few number of years, I guess, as a professional footballer at that stage, um, albeit being cut short because of injuries, you're still relatively successful during that time. You know, mm. um, you know, you won a couple of trophies whilst at Chelsea, uh, several trophies, shall I say? But I'm just curious to know, you know, obviously coming in as a, a player through the academy and then eventually into the first team. You know, some of the managers that you've worked on, you know, well regarded. You know, the likes of Glenn Hoddle, Rod Hillett, Jean-Luc Fiali. What, what what was that experience like? And you know, and obviously, I'm interested. In, well, actually, let's start with that. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, no disrespect to the before what the manager that came before him, um, but Glenn Hoddle was the first one that I really experienced as a as a head coach, where I felt I was being coached again. Mm. Um, it seemed like when you got into the first team, coaching stopped. It was just performance related. Um, it, it just seemed like we weren't getting coached no more. Um, then Glenn Hoddle came in, and then that, that all changed. And that was because of his European experience. He mm. went to uh, 
Monaco and he, you know he, um, he had a lot of experience from over there and he brought a lot of that back yeah you know everything that is just normal now wasn't normal back then so dietitian um, masseurs having food um, breakfast and lunch at the training ground these things weren't normal um, uh, and he brought that in he brought he brought in um, uh, a fitness coach uh, to help us in the gym and, and, on, and mm-hmm. in the training ground. These things weren't normal. Um, more done on the European circuit, but not done in the English game. Um, so, you know, I, I say to everybody, everyone loves to say Jose Mourinho, when he came in, he, he moved the club. Um, so far, he's the one that revolutionised the club. And I said, no, there was a revolution before Mourinho. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, Mourinho done great stuff when he came to, to, and there's no doubt in what he done when he came to Chelsea. But there was one person that done it and doesn't get the the props that he deserves. To be honest, why with do you think that is? I don't know. I just think, you know, when you're so far ahead of your time, hmm. people don't they don't yeah. really they don't really absorb what you're doing. Hmm. People don't realize that the first 10, 15 games under Glenn Hoddle, we was getting booed by our own crowd. Mm. by our own fans because they didn't understand what we were doing mm. because they were used, so used to a 4-4-2 system they are so used to going from back to front as soon as possible and getting mm. crosses in uh, and then all of a sudden we're playing a European style game mm. uh, we're getting we're playing a 3-5-2 system and then we're playing through playing through me who I was playing in the number 6 mm. and we were playing through and popping it through the lines if we couldn't get in there, we'll come back and then we'll sure. go out the other side. And- just, just curious on that then, you know, obviously you talked about the influence Glenn Hoddle had obviously going over to Monaco. Did he ever, I guess, share any um, experiences or influences that were, I guess, essentially, you know, at that time from Arsenal Wenger? No, I don't I don't think he would like openly talk about it. Yeah. That wasn't his way, you know, but you would... All you had to do was just have a half an inkling of intelligence to understand what he was doing. Right. You know, he was changing things. You could see the change. You could see not only was he changing the the what was happening at the training ground and how we were training and how we were tactically preparing for games, but it was also the way he was uh, the players that he started bringing in. Mm. You know, <laughs> Mark Hughes, uh, Dan Petrescu, uh, um, Rude Hullet. You know, mm-hmm. these are names that wouldn't before wouldn't be coming to Chelsea. You yeah. know, uh, so he changed the landscape um, in in many many ways. In many ways, got us to our first cup final yeah. in in yeah. God knows how long. Um, so he he changed the landscape massively, and 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 that doesn't doesn't really get the props. And uh, I suppose because he didn't win a a, a trophy. Uh, I think maybe that's the reason why he doesn't get the props. But for me, he was the first person that moved the goalpost massively at Chelsea. Mm. I'm just curious, obviously, you talked there right at the top of uh, describing that experience that he was the first one in a long time where you felt like you'd actually been coached, especially more from a head coach perspective. Could you describe a time where you felt like you received your best coaching from him? Uh, sometimes it's only a small thing that needs to be mm. said I remember because he was a player manager at the time mm. um, at, at the first um, again struggling to hang his boots up um, but um, 
I remember we was in training one time and I made a run uh, behind the back four and I got the ball, turned, couldn't cross, couldn't shoot. So I cut back and he was coming onto the thing. So I laid the ball back to him and I gave it to him too hard. I played it back too hard so he couldn't come onto it first time. And he had to come out and do something else with the ball. And then... Uh, and then we fit. We kept on playing. And then when it stopped, he came straight over to me. Mm. He goes, you remember that time when you laid that ball back to me? And I went, yeah, yeah. He goes, it was too hard. He goes, look, I'm coming onto the ball. I want to shoot. You know, you've done mm. everything. You've dragged the whole thing. Mm. You've made the space for me. You've done everything right. You've cut back. You haven't crossed. You haven't tried to shoot. You used all your intelligence. And then the last bit, you mm. let yourself down by fizzing the ball into me. You go where well, you should have just laid it nice, nicely for me, so I could have come onto it first time and hit the ball first time. And it just made you think better. Sure. Just, just on that, then, was that a question you were ever asking yourself beforehand, or before that? I mean, or consciously asking yourself? No, no, no. As I said, you know, I'm a young man. I'm, I'm still, mm. I'm still getting up to game, speed yeah. with the game. I'm still mm. learning the game. And then, you know, he just. He drops a little nugget in your in your head and says, mm. "Remember that," and you go, "Ah, you're right. You're actually right." You mm. know, and you, you know, and then the the experience just comes back to you. Mm. And later on, you're a little bit wiser. You understand things, and then if you're in that situation again, you'll lay it back in a, in the right way. So the person coming onto it will have mm. a one, uh, you know, able to hit the ball first mm. time. I think I think, it's a, I think it's a fantastic example, you know, just to kind of really highlight how much those little bits of detail make a massive difference, especially at the mm. top level of the game. And mm. you know, I'm curious to know from your perspective, then you know, uh, having come up as a player through the through the through the academy, and it, I guess my observations as a coach myself, you know, I, it, I think that element of that attention to detail piece is is slowly maybe becoming a dying art if that makes mm. sense. And mm. I think more and more coaches now are getting too uh, bogged down with the X's and O's and the different systems and strategies that actually that technical detail is kind of falling out a little bit. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Also, I suppose uh, with all the technology, all the pressure, everyone gets sucked into, I think every era gets sucked into a way of, of working. Mm. Um, as I said, it was an era... I was like Glenn Hoddle was the first to come out of that old era of just come out, do five sides, run hard, work hard, physical training, and then turn up on a Saturday and hopefully something pans out. Uh, where he went, no, 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 we're not working like that. We're going to work in this way, yeah. and uh, and I think it takes it takes you need to be brave as a coach, but you also need the backing of the board. Mm. To, to say, look, we're going in a different direction. We might hit some bumps in the road. It might be a difficult transition at times. We might be getting a little bit of flat from our fans who don't understand. But if we stay together, we'll get through this because we believe, we believe as a board and we believe as a coaching staff that this is the way forward. Mm. Um, that works sometimes because there is some good boards out there that, that they, when they go and get their manager... They want the manager to be play a certain brand of football for mm. the club, and unfortunately, most clubs don't do that. Mm. 
<laughs> it's very unfortunate because obviously the amount of time you know, we talked about the topic of the conversation about the amount of people that got sacked in Turkey and I'm mm. sure a lot of that down in, is down to maybe them not playing the right way or giving it giving enough time to implement a new way of playing um, you know I'm just interested in that so obviously you know, you've gone from Glen Hoddle uh, eventually you know to Rude Hillett you were playing alongside him and eventually became an upper player manager for you guys mm. what, what you know what was that like and what was the biggest I guess thing you started you know picking up from Rude I think player at that point. I think Rudy was um, very, very different, and very different because uh, who he was as a player, yeah. his personality, uh, very strong personality. Um, some he, he would rub people up the wrong way sometimes, um, but again, he's coming from the AC Milan perspective. Now he didn't want to put. He didn't want to make it as rigid. Obviously, he's Dutch, so he didn't want it to make it as rigid as the Italian system. But he wanted to implement some of that Italian system um, into what we're doing. Um, and sorry to be honest with you, I I I I kind of went a little bit too far with Leonardo. Um It was Rudy who brought the first. Um, um, fitness coaching. It was Rudy. He brought in Adi Mathe um, to to work with us. Um, so um, Rudy again was able to attract big names to the club, um, and he just took it up another notch. Um, again, obviously we won the FA first trophy under him for a long, long time. Um, European campaigns under him. Um, but as I said, unfortunately, Rudy has a way of working that can rub people up the wrong way. You either understand him or you you don't. There's no middle way with Rudy. Mm. You either you either really like what he does or you really don't. Um, and unfortunately, I, you know, people can say what they want about Rudy, but at the end of the day, when he got sacked, he was in the semi-final of the League Cup. We were in the quarterfinals of the Cup Winners' Cup and we were fourth in the league. Mm. So kind of just on that, you know, you're talking about, I guess, essentially it's almost that mom might affect you, either like him or you don't, you know, you mm. take him or you don't. I guess mm. such a decorated individual in his in his playing career, eventually mm. moving into management, obviously having what would be seen as a good, uh, I guess, a good stint at Chelsea as a manager in particular what was it I guess from him um, as opposed to maybe what you picked up from I guess Glenn Hoddle where you thought you know actually that, this guy's helped me transform myself as a player or transform my thinking a little bit more you know Rudy you know again like there's certain dying arts in the game and uh, because we've got too many systems we've got too many uh, apps we've got too many we've got too much too much technology around us now it's almost like a shield. Um, um, what Rudy, what I found Rudy was very good at. He could make the room feel like a million dollars. He make an individual feel like a million dollars. He, you know, if he believed in you, he believed in you. It's as simple as that. Uh, and he would make you and the team go out and and just express yourself yeah. go and express yourself you know what you want to do you know the system you know everything you're in the team for a reason go and express yourself 
Mm. And, and, and and that what that's what he was very good at. How, how much of that was maybe impacted by how much of a, I guess a, a great player he was? Was it was there a bit of that? A, a bit of a I'm in awe of him, and his words mean you know his words mean a lot more than maybe the next guy down the road. If that makes mm. sense. Mm-hmm. Well, listen. At the end of the day, you know you can't refute his his career. Um, so, but what he was very good at was just calming the the, the anxiety in the room. Uh, you know, just I, I give you one of his speeches that he done at the training ground one time. We, we watched a and we was doing some analysis uh, going into a game, um, and. He just looked at the room and he said, we are maybe one or two players away from winning this league. And everyone went, huh? And like looked at him, because we didn't think that way back then. You know, Chelsea wasn't winning leagues and, and that then. You know, we, we had become, we had just started to become a cup winning side, uh, going into cups and going right down the line with the cups and, and, and you know, top 10 top eight in the league and he looked at the room very seriously and said I believe we have the nucleus of a league winning team here Uh, he said I've got two players in mind I don't think I'll be able to get two of them but if I get one of them which was Franco Zola by the way uh, he he said if we get one of them then I I think we will we, we we will start challenging for the league. I truly believe we will start challenging Arsenal and Man United for the league. Which actually started happening. Which actually started happening. Um, obviously, we didn't win the leagues then, but you could see, everyone could see mm-hmm. that we were breaking down and we were catching up and we were getting closer. Uh, and, and, and it was that belief he instilled in the, in the team, in the squad, and by... You know, people made jokes and all that. But then after a while, people then turned around and said, why not? Mm. Why not? Why mm. not? You know? You know, I remember turning around to someone before Glenn Hoddle and all that came in. And I was a bit down. And they, they looked at me, what's up with you? I said, I'm not used to this. I'm not used to this. He goes, what do you mean you're not used to this? I said, I mean, we're, we're fighting every game just to survive. I said, I'm not used to this. I'm used to winning. I'm used to winning league. I'm used to winning cups. I'm used to winning leagues. I'm used to winning. I'm used to winning. I'm used to winning. No, I'm not used to this. I said, I said, it's draining coming every every day and doing, and you're almost thinking that you're just walking into another loss. Mm-hmm. You know? And then with Glenn Holder and with Rudy, I turned around another another day and I went. This is more like it. Yeah. This is what I come into football for. This is what I'm talking about. You're going into games thinking, no, we can win this. Yeah. No, I, I believe we can win this. You know. Mm. And uh, so you, you can understand the mindset. The mindset changed. Yeah. Yeah. There was a big shift in the mindset, uh, and then, then, and then, obviously, then, it's, then, from the mindset, the shift of the mindset, then has to come consistency. Uh, and that's what we had to build on there, uh, there on it, there on him. And kind of, you know, so you, you talk there again at the top of that time of, of Hullet, that eventually 
you know, you had the, you had the likes of Viali. He did get sacked. At, uh, so Hulik did get sacked at that stage. And then mm. you had another player manager. Mm. Mm. You know, there's a bit of a pattern here, what, what, which is, is not that common. Um, mm. What was that like? And obviously now you've got another, I guess, a, a, another great player that's gone from playing into management uh, in a player, play, again, three in a row now, player managers. I, I think that was the biggest shift for me, personally. It was a massive shift for me. Uh, I think Biali, uh, good guy in general, really good guy. Um, but when he took over and became manager, he's got that Italian ethic, very structured, very tactical, uh, a lot of physical, and he is very much of the mindset of the Juve way. Mm. Um, so he went from doing football consistently for double sessions through pre-season under Glenn Hoddle and Rude Hullet, who just want us with the ball all the time and, and tactical and with the ball all the time to in the morning, now we're running. Now we're doing physical. And then like then we'll do football in the afternoon. And that was very tactical driven. And that was a big shift for, for, for me. Um, um, uh, also, it was a stage in my career where my body was slowing down. I was coming into that time when I was going to have to retire as well. And it was a difficult. It was a difficult period for me. I got to say, really difficult, um, and just managing it. But yeah, that was that was a big shift again. And uh, I think, you know, I think what Viali took on was all the the two previous coaches, what they had built previously for him. He has took it on and then pushed it on to to win the, the trophies that he won. Nice. Uh, so, you know, he, he done well. He, he done well in that retrospect, but it was a, it was a big big shift in everything. Mm. Uh, and I think I think he also found it very difficult. Where I think Rudy didn't, Rudy and Glenn Holder didn't find the transition from player manager to manager. Mm as difficult as it, I think he found it very difficult. Do you think that it, there was any impact in the fact that, as you said, uh, Hullet had a very similar, to, or to an extent, uh, ethos, a way of working to uh, Glenn Hoddle, so it was more like a sim- seamless transition, and then going from that to, I guess, a shift, as you said, um, to Viali's way of working, that, that's probably where some of the challenges came from. Uh, also relationships with players mm. um, I think I think that was the biggest problem that he had he didn't know how to deal with it um, you know there's no you know it's like having a child there's no way of dealing with a child you know you know you have to learn as you go and uh, I think it was a different very very difficult for him that one day he was in a change room with the player uh, and then and going for meals in the evening and you know maybe their families and then all of a sudden you're making hardcore decisions mm. that affect their their day to day rhythm. Mm. Um, I think he found that very difficult, uh, and some of the players found it very difficult around him as well. Mm. So uh, it wasn't easy for him. Yeah, I want to take you back to your own journey now. Um, looking at you know you obviously retired at 28. He said, you know, you took a few years away and then you were invited back into come and work in the academy. 
when did coaching first start becoming a real thought for you? Was it at that point there where you was offered an opportunity to come back in or was there, I guess, a lingering thought ahead of that? How did that come about? I never thought I was going to coach, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it wasn't a driving ambition of mine. Um, but when I got invited, I, I run my own soccer schools and... You know, when I when I left Chelsea, I started I built my own business running soccer schools, and also going into after school clubs and and had loads of coaches going in doing uh, different sports um, in various schools. So I was happy doing that, to be honest with you, and that was building up very nicely. Um, and then uh, Chelsea invited me in. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Uh, I just had to had to find out nothing. I didn't have nothing in me to to go and do it, but I went. I took. Uh, I remember. I remember the the day. I remember the day like it was yesterday. Um, mm. It's it like one of the hardest things I've ever done. Really, really hardest things I've ever done. Um, I remember we was training. Chelsea were training at Harlett and Training Ground before they had moved to Cobham. So mm-hmm. it was there. I went there, and as we was turning in. I told the taxi driver to stop. And he said, what do you want me to stop for? And then I said, I need a moment. And he went, he looked at me and I said, I need a moment. He went, okay, okay, I understand. The very nice taxi driver was fantastic. He goes, mm-hmm. take the loans you need. And I, I, I literally had to look at, I look at the window, I had to look everywhere. I, I was like, I don't know if I want to go back. You know, to walk back in, it was a massive, massive thing for me. It really was. Um, but eventually, I bit my lip and told the taxi driver to drive me in and we went in. And then didn't look back since, you know. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I must have caught, caught a bug or whatever. I don't know what it was. It yeah, was. Nah, I guess, what? kept your you know what obviously you you know you touched on that you don't really know what it was about it but what kept you I guess your your passion for coaching because obviously since then like you haven't really looked back since and you've just been in that coaching world ever since in a coaching space ever since I, I enjoyed I enjoyed coaching the young kids okay. I I, 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 I enjoyed it I enjoyed it. I, I, I walked away and then at first I was like I don't know if I can do this and then I went in again and then then I'd done something and then someone else and then like the coaches there, they started helping me and, you know, I was like, I was sitting back and let me watch you a little bit and then, then they say, no, you need to step in and do something yourself and then started doing it and then I found myself one time just going home and started writing drills and doing a little thing and I thought, bloody hell, I'm getting into this and then I think the passion, the fire that maybe was lost was like reignited mm. again for Chelsea for Chelsea and for for football again mm. because for me it was like losing the fact that I can't play football yeah I, I lost the, the love, the love, mm. the love everything I lost it you know it was just about earning money and this was a good way of earning money through soccer mm. schools and all that um, thinking I was going to get back into the game I never thought it would, I never mm. thought I'd get, I was going to get that kind of paint a picture then, you know, in terms of timeline. What year are we looking at here? You've gone back into the academy. Oh, good. I can't remember. 
Um, left, I left ninety nine. I left Chelsea ninety nine two thousand season. Mm. Uh, Birmingham eight months. Oxford to deserve say two more seasons. Two thousand four, two thousand five, something like that. Right. So, correct. You know, I'm trying to jog my memory now. Two thousand four, two thousand five. Am I right in remembering that's when you and Neil um, appeared on that the Sky One series? Was it? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. So it must have been before that because yeah. So if that if that was that, then it must have been about two seasons before that. Easily, right. easily two seasons before that. Um, so yeah, I joined him, and then then Neil gave me. I was first first of all I was like assistant to the under tens, mm. like, and like Neil said, just watch. I just want you to watch, learn, pick up stuff, and then next season, then like you know, give you something mm. else. Then he said, like, then he made me do under tens, mm. and then from under tens, I became the under elevens the season mm. after. Then I became the under twelves season after mm. then I went from under 12s I remember Neil coming in and saying we've got a guy coming in from Arsenal uh, for the under 16s I headhunted him I like him I like his style spoke to him quite a lot I think you'll get on with him really well and he goes I want your assistant uh, go, at what level and he went under 16s and I went okay no problem yes. and then I'd done a bit with him but at the time I was taking my, my coaching badges mm. and uh and then obviously that's where I met Robbie again. So we was, we, he done all his coaching badges at Chelsea. And then Robbie just rang me up one day and just said, I got the job at MK. Do you, do you fancy coming and being my assistant? I went, okay. Uh, and he went from there basically. Hmm. So I've done two of those, the, the, um, the what's the name? They were good. I enjoyed them. Yeah. I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them. So two kids, two good good uh, kids come out of that. Yeah, one of them still a coach at Chelsea now. Yeah, the, se- the second one. Okay, uh, Sam. Yeah, yeah, he's right. still a coach at Chelsea now. Yeah, awesome. And you know, just on on that, then you know, I want to take you back to that experience a little bit. And you talked there about uh, Neil Bar. Obviously, Neil's been a you know Chelsea for a long time himself, academy director, mm-hmm. and you know a very successful one at that. What you know, what was it about Neil that made him so successful? You know, because. It can be challenging at that, at that, at that in that sort of role. I can only imagine. I think, I think Neil, Neil basically made a decision that he, at one point in his life, that he's not going to be able to have a family. His family was going to be Chelsea. Um, I think Neil dedicates everything to Chelsea. Mm. He dedicates everything to that academy, uh, and. So I think he knew he had to give it everything um, because obviously Chelsea was becoming a, a, a monster of a club, mm. especially under Abramovich. Um, and, you know, what what you have to say about Neil, he's constantly looking to innovate. Mm. Um, he's always trying to be ahead of the game. He's always bringing people that can help them stay ahead of the curve mm. um, you know whether it's in recruitment whether it's in philosophy whether it's in 
uh, lifestyle, whatever it is, he, he tries to always look to innovate um, and he's always trying to learn himself. You know, you're going to sit down with the financial people to learn the business side of the, the thing, the corporate side, to understand mm. that side of things, uh, as well as the football. He doesn't just pocket himself as like, I'm tactically good and I know mm. what I'm doing and doesn't understand the business side. He makes sure he understands the whole lot. Yeah. And in, in fact, the more he's gone into it, the more he's almost stepping away from the football side mm. because uh, he has to look over the whole project mm. Um, and which is a bigger task. Um, don't get me wrong, he's still at every game, watching every game, talking with the coaches, helping the coaches through, watching you know, at night. Sometimes he goes and watches training sessions, mm. not just to watch the players, but to watch the coaches to see if they're mm. delivering the programme the right way. Uh, so he made that decision that he is going to, you know, Chelsea is his family, you know, and, and he, he dedicated his life to Chelsea. And mm. As simple as that. And that's why he's been successful, because he's given everything. Not many people could, I don't think there's many people that could do what he done mm. and make that decision. No, definitely. I think it's a massive sacrifice. And I think it just, it just speaks um, only a little just to how much, uh, I guess, sacrifice it does take to kind of be successful in the football world, more specifically as a coach. Um, you know, I'm sure you can you can relate that. You know, the amount of hours that you end up working, it can be it can become quite unsociable in that respect. Mm. Um, you know, kind of just to bring you back to your journey a little bit. Obviously, you know, you got that call from Robbie to go over to MK Dons. You had a, a reasonably you know good experience there. Moved over to West Brom, got yourself promoted with with, um, with West Brom, and then obviously you guys have ended up back at Chelsea. Um, what was that come? What was that like coming back as the assistant at Chelsea, and then obviously that 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 Champions League run? Um, exciting, scary, because it's not at the beginning of the season. I'm mm. coming in at a very difficult mm. period. You know, like Chelsea are on the verge of getting knocked out of the Champions League. Mm. Um, they just lost. I think it was to Valencia. Was it Valencia? I can't remember. I I think they'd lost three-one away from home. Mm. Um, I remember actually Cole saving, doing a goal line save. If that had gone in, that would have been it. Mm. 4-1, it would have been it. There was no way back. Um, but that, that, that goal line save was instrumental to, uh, to saving the season, basically. Um, I thought, I think it was, Really exciting, very scary. I remember the drive because at the time I was living in Stratford-upon-Avon. Um, and then, so it's like an hour and a half, two-hour drive to to Cobham. Drove down very early in the morning, met Robbie and we spoke. Told me that the, the change room at the time was fractured. Um, it's going to be difficult. We're going to have to get amongst them. Um, we said, okay. So I spent most of the early weeks in there getting to know everybody. I know a few people. Obviously, I know John Terry from the thing. Uh, uh, Ashley Cole kind of knew him, kind of knew Frank Lampard. Didn't really know Didier and all the other the foreign, the foreign players. And I had to try and get into them as well. Mm. Um, and then just started think I tried as much as possible to get to the... 
what I thought were the senior players in the group. Um, so Didier, JT, Frank, not so much Peta. I couldn't really, I couldn't get to Peta. Now, now, mad. Now I've got a really good relationship with Peta, but then it was kind of, he was so into the goalkeeper coach, Christoph Lojean. They had their relationship. So he kind of left them to get on with it. Mm. Um, so, you know, these are the players that I tried to, 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 to get hold of and speak to and understand from their perspective what's going on in the change room. Mm. Um, uh, and then slowly, you know, try and get some compromises by the players. You know, to, you know, if we're going to save this season, we need we need a little bit of compromise in certain areas, uh, uh, tactically training. People have to learn that they're, they're going to have to compromise for the team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. the greater good um, results always help and when you start getting results which we did then good fuel factor starts to come in and then you can start to, to build upon that uh, and people take you take your word a little bit more uh, serious and a little bit more open mm. to, to, to um, changing their ways basically shall mm. we say didn't ask them to change massively. They were they were good players, top players. They knew what they were doing. It just it just needed to change and change a little bit of their their mannerisms, what they were doing, how they trained, what they were doing, bring a bit of life into training, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and and for for the most part, it worked. Mm. You know, and obviously that yeah. If, if, Amazingly, obviously, you guys went on to you know turn the season around completely, go on to win the Champions League. What, what was that like? You know, because that's a that's a feat that most players would dream of and, and managers. And you know, I'm sure you know, kind of going a little bit deeper, but not many ethnic managers have actually gone on, or assistant managers, or any coaching staff in general have gone on to kind of achieve that. What what was that like for you? And you know, did those things ever cross your mind when you when you were just going through that? No, no, I don't, I don't think like that. I don't. I know, I know there's a big issue regarding ethnic minorities not being able to get the jobs out there and so on and so forth. Don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not uh, blind of what's going on, but. Um, I can't think like that when I'm working. Mm. Um, I think only about the job and what we're doing and how to achieve. Um, and afterwards, then, like I, you know, 
I hope, you know, you only can hope that when when people see that, hold on a second, he's going to win the Champions League, and oh, hold on a second, he's just won the FA Cup. They can they can start looking and going, well, why can't why can't we have that? You know what I mean? Why can't he do that? Why can't he go on to that? So that uh, the afterthought is is more apparent for for what you was just talking about there. But whilst it was going on, it was just about achieving. I think the Barcelona game was the most emotional roller coaster I've ever gone through in my life. Never, never, never in my life gone through such an emotional roller coaster. I mean, we lost JT, who got sent off. We lost Gary Cahill to an injury. We, we was actually on fumes in that game, literally on fumes. And, you know, just a couple of incredible moments, you know, uh, like to, to score goals, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable feat that the boys went and done. And, but again, it was the belief, the belief in the, in the dressing room. You know, when you, when you got that, when you got that behind you and you got talent, it's not easy, but it's easier to work with these players, you know? And, uh, and, and going to Barcelona in the semi-finals under Pep, you know what that team is like. Uh, so it was, it was real roller coaster. I mean, when Didier gave away the penalty, I was like, I'm not sure that was in the final run. So, I mean, the, the, I just, I, all I can remember, the, 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 the main thing I can remember is that when Fernando Torres was put mm-hmm. on the pitch and we, we were struggling, they were really going for the final goal. And like, if it stayed as it was, we was going through, and they were throwing everything at us just to get that goal. And we're scre- screaming. Obviously, you're trying to get over the yeah. crowd, and you're screaming at Nando, "Get back!" He's standing up front, like with yeah. one man down. We said, "Get back and defend! Just defend!" <laughs> and then Ashley Cole just smashed the ball, and then yeah. we went, "Huh? Nah!" <laughs> and he just he just went through, and I can. I can just remember. I can just remember everyone. It just like everyone froze in time. Yeah. Everyone, their bench, our bench, their everyone froze. Everyone froze and just lo- looking at this. And then, and and you know, to be fair to to Fernando, he wasn't having the the greatest yeah, of seasons. Yeah. You know, and uh, confidence wasn't actually high. So you have to say, well done to him. You know, you, you know, you're you're back in Spain, at Barcelona. Eh, loads of things could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. You could imagine the things that was yeah. going through his head as he was running through. It's one on one with a goalkeeper. You know that. That's when yeah. everything's running through your head. And uh, he dropped his shoulder, went round the keeper, and just popped it in. I was like that. Oh my god! <laughs> of all the people, of all the people. <laughs> and uh, I was so happy for him. Yeah. I was so so happy for him because he, you know. The poor guy had been going going through like so much and his work ethic, if you see him in training, his work ethic is incredible. He's not big time, really down to earth, works hard. So he deserved it. 
he yeah, really deserved it. He's taking that work ethic into the gym. He's just bolt up, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's uh, he really, really took me. You know, I mean, he, he really took everything on and uh, took the world on his shoulders and, mm. and dealt with it. And uh, it was it was just a fantastic moment. And I remember Robbie just jumping on my back when he scored, and like we were, just, I was just laughing. I was just running down the touchline, laughing with Robbie. Go, we just beat Barca in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Do you realise what we just done? <laughs> with ten men, by the way, with yeah. ten men. And Fernando scored. And, uh, Fernando scored a winner. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so you know, then I can remember all the phone calls and texts and saying your your, your name's on a trophy. And I hate when people start talking like yeah. that. Yeah, I hate it uh, because you haven't you haven't done nothing yet. Mm. You haven't done nothing. You've just got to the final, and. Uh, I remember then, obviously, then we're playing Bayern at their home grounds in Germany. Everything is, yeah. should say, it's going to be Bayern season. Um, and what a lot of people don't know about the final is that David Luiz and Gary Cahill, we didn't know if they was going to make it through the warm-up. Okay. Let alone the game. We was constantly, well, without trying to make it obvious, watching David and watching Gary, asking them, you okay? Da, da, da. And I, I, to be quite honest with you, this is when the human body and the human mind takes over and it's an incredible mm. piece of machinery. You don't understand the kind of machinery that you got. The adrenaline that was going through their bodies, everything that was going through their bodies made them get through that game. And... Mm. Um, the people that they are, they didn't want to let the team down. The we had we had young players in the changing room warming up, just in case they broke down in the warm up. Yeah. That's how we were on fumes. We had Ashley Cole and oh, I'm so bad with names. Left back at Southampton. Um, Bertrand. Bertrand. We had Bertrand play. We had two left backs playing. On the left side, we're just a mish, mishmash of a team put together. And it is that belief factor. The boys just stuck together. They worked through it, rode our luck a little bit, went on to win on penalties. It's amazing. Uh, and obviously, you, you've gone and achieved that. And, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, at the point... Uh, Robbie was still temporary in charge, was it? Mm, yeah. He then got given the job after that. Didn't quite maybe go to plan as, as, as well as he would have liked. Um, mm. But, you know, surely throughout that now, you know, you've had a couple of experiences as an assistant. You're now starting to think, right, well, maybe I can go somewhere and maybe take a job um, mm. as the manager. Uh, mm. Obviously, you've ended up back at Chelsea you know, or staying at Chelsea, but then moving into the loan side of things, starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a massive success that you've had in that but there's also been a lot of criticism around how, how Chelsea do uh, I guess manage that loan programme and the amount of players they have in that often mm. being referred to as stockpiling mm -hmm. um, you know more recently it was announced that you know the longest serving player at Chelsea now I think it's Lucas Piazzon mm. he was there for maybe God knows how long 11 years longest serving player but he's probably played less than 10 games for the first team mm. um, you know what, what what do you say to people who maybe who describe the department like that what, what was the what was that like? Because 
yes, you can argue that it's been successful as a business. But like I said, there is that critique of right Chelsea just bringing players in and keeping them, stopping everyone else from picking them up. No, it's it's not that we're just trying to stop people from picking them up. We're, we're you know at the end of the day, uh, Lucas Piazon was brought in legitimately as a young nineteen-year-old, thinking that we think he's going to go on and do something. It yeah. Didn't quite work out. So, you know, we've been trying to manage him. You know, uh, you know consistently during this through his time at Chelsea, just trying to to get him up to a level where he's playing at a de- decent level where he can go to a club that he wants to go to and also we can get re- con- reimbursed for the money that we've laid out for the player, you know? Yeah. It, it's not rocket science, yeah. you know? You're trying to you're trying to help the player by giving him a loan, helping him to put him on a platform so hopefully he can go and do well. And then if he does well and then someone else or the club that he's at wants to purchase him, we give them a price to purchase. If they take that and they're happy to go with that, he's happy, we're happy, everyone's happy, and then you move on. Doesn't always work like that, you know? You know, uh, there's players that have gone on loan many times and it just doesn't work out for one reason or another. You know, they could have a good half a season and the back end of the season, it's not so good. Um, and then we have to start all again and build them up again. Um, it's not what we want to do. We want players to go and have a career and, and, and settle and do what they, they need to do. But there's been a load, there's been loads of success stories, but no one talks about the success stories because that's not good news. Uh, but what they love to do, they love to talk about the Piazons and, and, the, and them kind of players that have been, and they don't realise, Piazzo's been looked after incredibly well. Mm. He's a long player and maybe he don't like being termed, labelled with that term. Mm. But the, the simple fact is Chelsea uh, are paying him very good wages. Uh, whenever anything goes wrong, he's brought back to the club immediately, medically looked after. Um, um, all his games are analysed. He gets feedback about his games and how he can improve. Mm. Uh, visits to the, his manager to see what the manager is thinking uh, and to give us some feedback mm. and so we can feedback and have a good connection with the club. So, and not, not just Lucas, this is everybody. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so, you know, the players get extremely well looked after, mm. extremely well looked after. So, you know, there's so so many people out there that can say, you know, that it's easy to, from outside to shoot, shoot at, a building and say, ah, oh, you're stockpiling, you're doing this, you're doing that. You don't really want to stockpile. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to have 40 players on loan. You don't want to have 45 players on loan. That's hard work. You know, getting on a plane every weekend or a train and, and go, going to visit your player, going to visit a manager. That's a lot of work. We have players at times in Italy, Spain, France, Belgium, Holland, England, in the championship, in the premiership, you know, that's that's a lot of work. That's a lot of traveling. You know, I was hardly I was hardly at home. You mm-hmm. know, so it's not what we want to do. But the business model, the business model is the business model. And you know, as much as we're football people, we have to ad- adhere to the board and the football mm-hmm. model and uh, and uh, and the business model that that needs to come together. You know, you can't just run off and say, "Ah, oh, don't worry, we've lost." We've lost 10 million on you. Go and have a good career. Yeah. Don't work like that because no, no, no other business would do that. 
So yeah. why do you expect Chelsea to do that? No, it's true. No, yeah, I think you know, speaking like from that perspective, really kind of paints a different, uh, different picture on the on the actual whole context of the situation. Mm. Like, and, you know, kind of just so you know, you you spent a few years in that role doing the loan stuff, and then um, you know, kind of where we kind of first came into contact, and you know, a few years down the line, now you've you've obviously made that transition into management, mm. gone over to Turkey to have get an opportunity with Trabzon Sport. Talking mm. here at the top of the conversation around winning, uh, I guess the cup after the assist or as the assistant, mm. stepping up to the temporary manager's role and then taking over. What was that like? What would you see in terms of the culture, cultural differences as a coach from a coaching perspective? Yes. And then, you know, why do you think it didn't work out for you uh, that well? It's a massive cultural shift, massive. I mean, um. The way they train in this country is totally different. Uh, the mindset to developing is totally different. Um, so it was very, very difficult to maneuver and change things. Um, uh, problem in Turkey is the biggest problem in Turkey is the lack of patience. Mm. It's, they're so impatient uh, and want results yesterday. Uh, you just go, it's not going to work. But um, I think when I came over, I felt, I, felt, I, I no disrespect to the manager, you know, uh, he's not the only manager that trains like that. I think a lot of managers in Turkey train in a very similar vein. Um, I found it very difficult that there was no tactical implementation within the training. And uh, uh, But at the end of the day, we was on a run. You can't say anything when you're on a run and you're winning. It paints over all the cracks, you know? So, but... What I what I found was my little niche. A lot of players, a lot of young, a lot of players were coming to me and wanted me to analyze their their games and help them out a little bit more because no one will really talk to them and analyze and tell them what to do. So I was I started to work with maybe four, maybe five players, always analyzing some quite senior, some middle of the road that maybe they've come from Europe and they understand they need that part of their, into their game. Uh, and so I started working with them. And, um, and then when I started working with them, it, it, it started to build a good rapport with the players. And I think the reputation and uh, some younger players were starting to come to me as well. And can you help me and give me advice and all that? So I started to do that and help them out. Uh, and also help the manager uh, when we're discussing, you know, going into games, um, you know, formations, uh, individuals within those formations, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's very emotional over here as well. Mm. Very emotional. Um, and I think that was when, when the league started up again, uh, after the, the the break, I mean, I think that's what killed the the, the manager. I think 
because one, we had momentum and then that momentum was taken away and then we had to build again. I think that's what killed him. Um, and then from there, everything was based on emotion. A lot was, everything was all about emotion. His speeches were about emotion. There was videos about the city and what it means to the city and the emotion, the emotion. It was all emotion. Uh, I think the European players um, found it difficult. And I, d I honestly don't think he's done a, a bad job. And uh, we've... We were drawing. We were drawing games. We we're still second in the league. We we're drawing games, and like I thought, you know, okay, we can't win the league, but you know, he didn't deserve to get five, in my opinion, especially with two games left. Anyway, uh, president made that decision, um, and 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 from there. He said he wanted me to take it on an interim basis and immediately said, I have to win the next two games. I went, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Uh, so uh, we went away, we played away in the league and we won the league game. Um, uh, and then after that, then we prepared for the cup. Yeah. And then again, we won the cup, uh, the final. Mm. Um, which was good, you know. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't honestly, I didn't think I was going to get the manager's job. To be honest with you, um, really didn't think I was going to get it. But then, when I was on my holiday, the president ran ran me and said, "Where are you?" I just told him where I was, and then he said, "Like I was still in the country on holiday." He said, can you come to Istanbul to my office? Okay, jumped on a plane, went there. And then he said he wants to give it to me. I said, okay. And then that's when everything started going like yeah. that. And obviously on that note, then you're saying that you really want to get the job. How much of that did, or how much impact did that then have on your preparations to maybe actually begin the job? I always prepare whether I think I'm going to get it or not. Because I don't like to say I'm not going to get it and then all of a sudden you do get it because you never know what's going to happen in life. You may have a 2% chance and the other guy's got a 98% chance, but for some reason or another, 2% wins over 98%. You know, these things happen in life. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, again, the way they dealt, you know, the, the transfers very difficult, you know, um, dealing with the way they want to do it and the way you want to do it is n night and day. Um, basically, they want to do it that way, you want to do it that way. I'm more used to a European system, they're used to doing it their way, um, which became very difficult in the end. Uh, so, yeah, it was very difficult dealing with that and then Beginning of the season, I mean, if I, I've never known so much trouble in one in in, in 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 all my time in football, it's like all the bad things that could happen happened in that period. Um, we had players 
constantly getting COVID and having to to isolate for two weeks. Yeah. Then we lost play. Our training grounds was terrible due to the humidity. Um, so the pitches were terrible. Then we lost two players to ACLs. One of them really important player. Uh, uh, who else was there? Um, there, there? I mean, COVID, injuries, to the point, and then late transfers coming in late, really late, two, see, two games, three games into the season, you've still got players coming in. Um, and it's just a mishmash of, uh, and then player, player, players still getting up to speed and getting to understand me a little bit better and this, that, and the other. And just towards the end, it was the performances were getting good and really starting, but we just wasn't getting the, the results. But the performances were really good for 60 minutes. Uh, they couldn't sustain it for 90 minutes. Uh, or you can, they'll have a fantastic 45 minutes and then they'll fall away for 20 minutes and then they pick it up for another 15 minutes. So that was the, the, the story of, of the beginning of the season. And that, that was just because they're getting to know me. Players are still not fit coming to me. I had one player who we signed who hadn't played for six months and I had to get him up to speed. Uh, which was is always dangerous, as you know. You know, you, the last thing you want to do is pushing too hard before, and, and you know, it just breaks. Hit breaking um, early. Yeah, exactly. So there's all these connotations going around, and this whirlwind. Mm. Uh, and people in Turkey are not patient, but Trabzon is the height of impatience uh, as a club, and uh, they they want everything now. And uh, so if you're not getting the results, it doesn't matter how good your training is, doesn't matter how good your relationships are, it doesn't matter what you're building towards to just see the results. And that's no, it. No, no. And, uh, and uh, so therefore they pulled the plug mm. and uh, they, they changed things. So it, it was just the way it was, would you call it? It was just a very, very difficult moment. Too much change, mm. too, too much change. In a short period of time, they just, and that's another thing, they find change very difficult. Yeah. They find change very difficult. So too much change in a short period of time, and it, it was just, they couldn't handle it. They yeah. couldn't hack it. And uh, so that, that was it in a nutshell. Um, but but I still think it was a great experience. I don't, I don't look at it as a negative experience because taught me a lot about this country and how to work within this country. Uh, you, you have to work in a certain way. Mm. You can't bring the European method here. It doesn't, it doesn't work here. So I guess um, on the back of that then, you, you know, talk through what was maybe such a, I guess, a difficult and challenging for you. Would you say that's the most challenging time you had in your, your journey as a coach? Or would you say it's one? Yeah, 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 without doubt. Without doubt. Without doubt. Because usually when you go into a club, even a club as small as MK Don's, there's a system there yeah. uh, that you're used to that you you jump onto someone's system and then you build on top of that. Yeah. And, and there's a platform and, to work from. Th yeah, there's always a platform to work from. You go to West Brom, there's a platform to work from. Obviously, Chelsea, platform to work from. Uh, and then, so you can elaborate and build from there. But Trabzon, mm. 
you know, if we're now, you know, you, you've had a range of experiences across different countries and, you know, different leagues, working with different managers, uh, being that manager now yourself, you know, Eddie Newton's hanging up his boots age 28, 29, thinking, right, I've, I've, I've fallen out of love with the game. The game's been taken away from me. You know, you've been brought back in as a coach a few years later. If you had the opportunity to maybe go back and speak to yourself then, knowing what you know now with all the experience you've had, what is one message you'd want to give yourself at that point? Very good question. Run a million miles away from being a coach. <laughs> no. Um, I, I, I would have I would have said to myself at 28, do your badges now. Do your badges now and walk in, walk in prepared and ready now. Because maybe I delayed, I couldn't say delayed, I, you know, I, I'm still very lucky to, to achieve what I achieved, but maybe if I had my badges already, I could have elevated a little bit quicker uh, myself, especially within the academy at Chelsea. Um, um, having an A is far different, it, you, you know, I may be able to take one of the, the, the bigger size, one of the the, the youth team or something and giving myself more exposure, more experience. Um, that's one thing I would have definitely said. But, but I've always said, I've always said to myself, if I'm going to get sacked, I'm going to get sacked doing it my way. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to get sacked because someone told me to go this way and another person told me to do that and someone else told me to do that and then I get sacked off other people's decisions. Uh, if I'm going to get sacked, it's going to be based on my own decisions. And then if I made wrong decisions, okay, I made wrong decisions. I have to evaluate. I have to evaluate what I've done wrong, where I can do a little bit better and go on from there, you know? No, definitely. I think that's a great point. You know, kind of just to kind of build on that then, you, having those experiences, you know, um, you, you, know, you said you maybe understand better the climate in Turkey as a coach. And obviously had experiences working in England. Where are we going to see Eddie Newton pop up next? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't mind where I work, uh, as in what country I work in. I don't, I really don't mind where I work, but where I work, where I work, has to have the same values as what I have, uh, and they want to achieve what I want to achieve. You know, if 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 that's not what they're looking for, then don't hire me. Don't hire me. Do, you know, hire me because don't lie to me. You know, tell me I'm a big man. Tell me this is what I want. This is what I want to achieve. And this is the time frame that I want to achieve. It. Then I'll look at them and say that either matches exactly what I'm thinking or that that's, in my mind, that's unachievable. Maybe some other manager thinks that's achievable, but not the way I work. That's not achievable. So, the only way I have to be sitting down with the president, I have to be sitting down with the board, I have to sit down with a club that's aligned with the same things that I want to go because it doesn't work otherwise, you know. We can talk about, we're blue into the, in the face about the way different styles of how different countries go about their football and, and you can talk to your blue in the face and you can point fingers and say that's wrong. It is what it is. 
Turkey is the way it is, and it, and I can't see it changing in the foreseeable future. Uh, Europe is the way it is. Again, maybe there might be change forced upon them, especially financially because of the the um, uh, pandemic that that's upon us at this present moment in time. Um, so there may be a, a shift in culture, uh, which has been brought on by uh pandemic and people might have to look how they they structure their clubs and how they they run their clubs because maybe tv money is not going to be so abundant anymore and sponsorship is not going to be so abundant anymore and there's not going to be the, the 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 amounts of money that we're so used to seeing at this present moment being uh, available to to go and spend so therefore you have to look at at football in a different way to survive um and I'm looking for an owner, a president that is looking to to build their club in 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 a good manner. I'm not saying just bringing through youngsters and developing youngsters. There has to be a balance. I want good senior pros. I like working with senior pros and young pros, developing and and thing. I want to win things again. Remember, uh, near the top of the, the the podcast, I told you. When I was a young kid, I've always won things, and I'm not being arrogant or anything. I always won things. I only went into things to win things. I don't like going into competition to to be mid table. You know, I remember someone said to me, "Ah, oh, that was a great draw." I looked at them. I went, "What kind of a saying is that? It's a great draw. There's no such thing as a great draw." You know, I said. We could have won that game, but we settled for a draw. And I, I, I was, I was like quite emotional at the time. And I said, I can't talk to you. And I had to walk off. You know, I'm not going to say where and when it was done, but you know, when I had a conversation with the coach, I'm like, what is a what is a good draw? That's that's such a crap saying in my in my mind. I, I um, agree with that. Yeah, and you know, it's just a it's a rubbish terminology. Um, so, um, so, you know, I've always gone into competition to win, you know, but there has to be a way of winning, you know, there has to be a philosophy, there has to be a mindset, there has to be, a, this is how we do it, you know, don't care, you know, fair play, that's how you do it, you know, I may admire you, I may say I don't like your style, but I can't refute what you're doing, because that's your way of doing what you're, you, you want to achieve. Me, this is what I want to do, and I, I need to work with a board, a president, or whoever, an owner who has the mind who's tough enough to say, "Okay, this is going to take a little bit of working. It's going to take a little time for this to get going," mm. and he's strong enough and tough enough to go. I made the decision. Mm. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to go along the line. This is going to work because I believe in him. I believe in what we're trying to achieve mm. because this is going to be the best for the future. 100%. We need to change. We need to do this. And this is what we're going to do. Mm. That's who I need to work with. Not, not fly by nights, uh, want it now and they're gone tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want a little bit of longevity building something, you know, don't like, don't like bed hopping. Don't like going from one club to another club to another club. You know, yeah. I, I don't like that. I like to build something and stay something and like and to innovate, you know, 
okay, we've done that this season. We need to change our tactics and we need to bring in better players and we need to innovate and we need to bring up our youngsters and con continuously innovate, you know, uh, and uh, but at the same place. And, and then hopefully, hopefully, I'd like to, you know, if... If you know you get sacked or you move on in a in a, in a positive way because you've been headhunted by a, maybe a bigger club, you'd like to think that you've left a legacy somewhere. You know you've left something uh, for the next manager to step in uh, and maybe take. He may, he's not going to take everything, but he may take one or two things that you've done and go. I like that. I like that. We'll keep using that, and the rest of it will. That doesn't suit me. Just, just on that, you know, it kind of leads me into one, you know, one of my, uh, as we look to kind of round up one of my final questions for you in that, you know, just by having this conversation with me, you know, you've made yourself part of the coaches network. So what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? The legacy I want to leave behind is to show, to show young, young aspiring coaches, managers to not be afraid to travel, to go abroad. I think too many, uh, this is just my opinion, but I think too many people in England think England's the holy grail and there's nothing else out there um, where there is. Um, you have to you have to broaden your horizons. You have to make contacts outside of the country. Um, and, and there is more than England. Uh, and I, I, I don't just mean Europe either. You know, there's there's a lot of countries where you know, Graham Potter is one of those, you know, that you know, went and made his name in, in Scandinavia, you know, in Sweden. And uh, now he's back in England. You know, you've got to be able to be brave enough to be able to do that. You've got to be a little bit of a pioneer. Um, it's not easy. Mm. Journey's never easy. Um, um, but to leave a legacy, you you have to be able to believe wholeheartedly in yourself and what you're doing. You have to be really strong and make sure people around you know in the right way, know that you're not backing down from this because you know it's right. Yeah. And if you if you win things, you start to leave a not even if you win things, you know, I think one, one thing positive came out from the Trabs and Sport. There's a lot of big writers over here that have actually said a lot of good things of what I've done in the short time that I've been here. Uh, a lot of people have come up to me and said that I didn't get the time that I, I needed. They could see, they could see things changing, but you never had, never one time did I put on, put the same team on the pitch. Because I couldn't, because sickness, COVID, injury, I couldn't put the same people on the pitch, uh, which everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people understood. So you, even, even through the fire, people can see. People are not stupid, you know. Uh, people are more aware. And I think there's a younger generation in Turkey that are starting to see things. They're not they're not clouded by all the political and uh, the hoo ha around football. They're actually seeing the game for what it is, uh, and they're very patriotic over here, and and they want their their you know they're seeing 
Turkish players leaving and going to Europe and doing well in Europe, in Italy, in England, in France, doing well in Germany. They're doing well and they, and, and, and they want a bit of that here, uh, week in, week out. And um, hopefully, hopefully, you know, if it's not here, it's somewhere else. But, you know, I won't mind working here again, to be perfectly honest with you. I know it's a, it's a crazy market. That's for sure. It's a crazy market. Um, I think, as I said, um, people are led by their emotions here. Mm. And they can do things too quickly. Um, but, you know, if, if, I, if I do it again, I just, you know, I, I could have gone back in. I could be in management now if I wanted to be. Uh, if I want to be cynical and, and just go in to mm. pick up pick up my, you know, to say I'm a manager and pick up my change and six months down the luck road, I'm gone again. Yeah. Could have easily done that. But I'm looking for that, that challenge, the right challenge, um, uh, where there can be a little bit of longevity and put the right team of coaches and staff around me uh, and then start building a team mm. of, of players to, to move, to, to, to do something special. Fantastic. Look, and Eddie, I just want to thank you again for your time. I just want to kind of finish on one final note, really. Um, I'll have a quick fire round for you, just a few questions, just to kind of see what you come up with, really. Um, okay. so question one, uh, I guess the best manager that you've played under? Oof. It may be a combination of... Well, there's only one answer. It's got to be one. <laughs> uh, well, I'll make sure they don't see this. Uh, I'll say Glenn. Right. I have to say Glenn. I have to say Glenn. Okay. Best manager that you've worked under as a coach? Uh, I haven't worked closely with him, but I was working at the club whilst he was there. Um, it was Jose. All right. Best player that you've coached? Oh. Oh, that's hard. Oof. Shit. <laughs> oh, that's really hard. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, Lampard. Right. Manta. Are you joking me? Uh, I mean, oh, man, I can't. Uh, All right, top three then. Go on, top three. You got two there. Uh, I still struggle with that one. <laughs> you got Didier, you got Didier, you got uh, Mata, you got Lampard, I got uh, JT. Jeez, I mean, it's one of the best sides All right, in Chelsea's let's history. You then. Best player that you've played alongside? Okay. Okay. I suppose <laughs> I enjoyed working with Wisey to be honest with you yeah Dennis Wise mm. I know he's not everybody's favourite yeah because uh, of his the way <laughs> he went about things um, but if you know why, if you know Dennis like I do 
you know, why is it like I do? Then, then you 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 you'd understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. I mean, he'd give you trinkets of advice. Uh, it'd get under your skin to make you better. Yeah. And push you. Uh, he can, he, you know, he was a good leader. Yeah. He could put his hand around you and laugh and everything, but he could also, he could also rip into you and tell you about yourself. Um, so, uh, I liked, I like playing, I like playing the YZ and I played the YZ for a heck of a long time as well over, over the years. And so I said YZ. There you have it, guys. There's a, a bit of a rundown of uh, Eddie Newton's career, Chelsea legend, uh, icon, and Champions League winner. Eddie, look, it's been a pleasure for me this morning uh, to have this conversation with you, and I'm sure the listeners and viewers will um, take a lot away from this and uh, certainly give them some food for thought for their own journey. So thank you again for your time this morning. Pleasure, pleasure. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.